Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. for a lot of people across the country on this President's Day is the weather. There's actually only one tiny little corner of the country where there is any green. Uh, So if you're not in Florida or extreme southern Georgia, your map today is either pink or some shade of purple or some shade of blue or frankly, some dark shade of purple. I'm not sure I've ever seen on the map before, but most of our listening area is in... um, what I will call the dark purple, the dark purple. I don't know. It sounds very ominous. Uh, the Weather Channel is calling it historic winter invasion. Paul, yes, Perot, yes. Does it feel like a historic winter invasion? Let me put it this way: <laughs> Weather Channel exaggerates. Yes, it is cold. I get it. In some ways, it is histor- historic. But I, I've lived through a lot of cold. I lived in Fargo for six years. I know. I know Bless cold. You. Good yeah. morning, Fargo. By the way, <laughs> hey. Paul, so yeah. um, how? What's the uh, what is the outside air temperature where you are now, and um, the feels like temperature? Okay, the uh, according to what I have here, sixteen below is what it says mm. at downtown Holman Field in St. Paul. Mm. Wind chill mm-hmm. thirty one below zero. Mm. Okay, so if staying inside is an option, let me just go ahead and you know, I, I this feels like a a good recommendation. Stay inside. Um, if you go outside, go outside bundled up to do something fun like sledding, right? I don't know. Is that good? Is that a good idea? Um, that causes nobody's windshield. going anywhere. <laughs> no one is going anywhere where I live. I'm just letting you know right now. So um, uh, it is. It is interesting to me that we now name our winter storms. I don't think we used to do that, or at least we didn't where I live. And we're already up to Viola. Oy. We've like uh, Viola was apparently hot on the heels of Yuri, but that just sounds like a Valentine's Day weekend. Uh, melodrama. So, all right. So I will uh, now get back to what I was going to talk about. The big news for a lot of people across the country today is the weather. Uh, And as bad as the weather may be, it is somehow a little bit refreshing. I feel like that the big news is not something out of Washington or Hollywood or Wall Street. So as people of the word, let me encourage us to consider what the Bible has to say about the weather this morning. Now, your mind might uh, might rush to the words of Jesus about our ability to forecast the weather, but our utter failure to understand the signs of the times in which we live. Um, or you may remember how God uses weather to work out his own will. You might consider the way God used weather or weather patterns in the days of the plagues or in the days of Noah or in the way that he rained fire down on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. None of that sounds like good news weather reporting. Uh, The storms at sea in the lives of Jonah or Paul, or we might consider the passages in the book of Job, or this story from um, from Elijah's experience in 1 Kings, or recorded in 1 Kings chapter 19. It picks up at verse 11. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. 
but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. The Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper, a still small voice. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. So how does God speak to you today? Maybe in the quiet of snowfall, maybe in the howling of the wind, maybe in the shaking of the earth, maybe in the ebbing tide. There's one more passage from the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 10, verses 12 to 13. I'd like to lift up as we consider the weather on this Monday morning. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. When he utters his voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens, and he makes the mist rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain, and he brings forth the wind from his storehouses. So as Jesus confirms for us in John chapter 3, verse 8, when the wind blows, it blows where it blows, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. So today, people of God, let us be people who acknowledge the Lord and the rising of the sun and its setting, the rising of the tides and their ebbing, the quaking of the earth and the howling of the wind and the stillness of falling snow. Creation itself is not God, but it does bear witness to him and his great power. So give God the glory today as you watch the weather. Wring not your hands, but certainly consider, um, I guess, our vulnerable state and the awesomeness of our great God. Zach Jenkins is up next. We'll be right back. Dr. Zach Jenkins from Cedarville University is back. Dr. Zach, welcome back. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. All right. All kinds of headline news related to the coronavirus. Uh, here are a few, I read, a few I read this morning. The U.S. has its own new wearisome variants. The World Health Organization scientists traced 13 COVID-19 variants to China in 2019. Widespread vaccination will, no, will not come for most Americans until uh, the summer. I don't know. We got all kinds of uh, headlines related today. Let's start with that one. Vaccination probably not coming for most Americans until this summer. Uh, The president has announced the acquisition of some 600 million doses, but, you know, the production takes some time. Yeah, it's it's really challenging. There there are a lot of steps involved. And uh, one of the big things that we're we're having to do is we're, we're competing with resources, if you think about it. And it's not even just the materials that we need to make vaccine. It's also the machinery. And so a big thing that's happening right now is that the uh, White House has has been uh, pushing for the Defense Production Act to start really, um, I guess, requisitioning some of that machinery to allow for more vaccine production. Uh, the, The conversation about, you know, who should get vaccines first, it's been an interesting moral conversation in the culture. Um. And uh, it's something that I think that we we will consider conversing about as time unfolds. And, you know, they're talking about uh, America probably having plenty to share with the world. It'll be interesting to see if and when and how quickly and to whom those resources are shared over time. Um, Zach, I've been noting that nearly every local news outlet uh, and most most national outlets as well, there's a story today about the hardship that people are enduring 
um, because of the negative effects of COVID, you know, on schools, on communities, on places where we normally gather, certainly on employment, long-term underemployment or unemployment. Talk with us a little bit about the good news related to some um, some treatment uh, options that have been developed and some that the FDA has gone ahead and approved. Yeah, so if we think back to, uh, you know, a little bit less than a year ago, really we didn't have anything to do when it came to managing COVID-19. A lot of it was guesswork. Um, one of the big things we've been using for a long time has been steroids, but more recently we have been pushing for using some agents that we typically use in arthritis in the inpatient setting. And, and what we've been doing now is, is we found that because these things decrease inflammation, in particular things like tocilizumab, um, thamlivumab, those kinds of, of big names that you've probably never heard of in your life before, unless you happen to get it for arthritis, those particular agents, we're finding that they help actually people recover from COVID-19, um, particularly in very severe cases, can even reduce mortality. So that, that's a pretty substantial thing that we've discovered recently here. Um, I think the other thing that's kind of important to pay attention to, we've all kind of heard of plasma at this point for COVID-19. And the FDA has actually since backed off on some of its initial support of it. And we're really kind of limiting it more to the, towards the more severe cases using really high quality plasma is the best way I can put it. The, the real thing to keep on the radar with plasma is with these variants that you're hearing about, plasma is very specific for the most dominant strains of COVID that we have. So as we kind of move forward with variants, the challenge we're going to run into is our stocks of plasma, if they're having any effect, won't have much at all against these new variants. But another good news um, when we think about outpatient therapy to date, we've really not had a lot of options. However, there's been something that uh, has, has been put forward recently and seems to have good data to support it, and that's budesonide. You may know it as Palmacort. Um, it is actually an inhaled uh, steroid that people often use for asthma. But what we're seeing in the outpatient setting is when people are using it, it actually will reduce their likelihood of severe disease in some cases, or, or especially hospitalization. Um, so really, we're starting to have treatments now that can be effective in the outpatient setting, which up until now we haven't really had. All right. So I appreciate all of that. Um, all of that good news. There are all kinds of options. The um, the information related to this, Zach, is a little bit overwhelming, and that probably is causing some anxiety for some people as well. Um, so we we know that as we're talking about these things, um, Zach and I are are aware that um, as as people in the medical profession. And researchers continue to bring their very best game uh, to this challenge, uh, that it can be frustrating for you as you wonder exactly um, the, the what ifs and the, um, and the what for you and the when and the where. Uh, some of these things are only available in certain settings because they're still being studied. Um, others of them are widely available. Some of them, um, you know, sort of cycling out in terms of, of how effective they're proving to be. So be patient. Um, recognize that information does change over time as more and more researchers have more and more data uh, to to plug into to the conversation. Zach and I are going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to talk about vaccines and pregnant moms. And we're also going to talk about, hey, once you're fully vaccinated, you still have to isolate. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Dr. Zach Jenkins from Cedarville University. Um, Zach, talk with us about what we're learning or what we think we know uh, in terms of 
um, vaccinations and women who are pregnant? You know, this, this has been kind of a tricky subject. So what we've known with COVID-19 and pregnancy in general is pregnant women tend to fare worse than non-pregnant women. And they have more hospitalizations on average. They have more severe disease. Um, and it's not really affecting their, their child that's developing so much as it is the mom. Um, so there's been a big question that we've kind of been raising about, well, what about vaccination in pregnant women? Well, if you look at the studies for Moderna and Pfizer and their vaccines, we really don't have data. And one of the reasons we don't is when you're designing a trial, pregnant women are a protected population. And so it's very hard to, to really do studies around pregnant women. Um, so the World Health Organization about a couple weeks ago came out with a statement about how they're not recommending that pregnant women get the vaccine. And the reason they put that recommendation forward is simply because they don't have the data to back up you know, whether you should or you shouldn't. Um, the CDC, in contrast, what they've recommended is that it's a personal conversation that you can have with your medical provider if you are an expecting mother. And the, the reason that they kind of suggest that is they look back at other vaccines historically, and they've never really proven to be a problem in pregnant women or towards a developing child. Um, so that's kind of where the data is sitting right now. So what I would probably encourage people to do myself is I would say have that conversation with your physician, make sure you feel comfortable about everything um, and kind of weigh the, the pros and cons in that situation and then move forward based on what you feel is best. I read a, an article, I think it was just yesterday, Zach, about uh, from, a, from a physician who um, oversees several populations of, uh, of people in uh, advanced nursing care facilities. And, um, and, you know, and he was talking about the fact that, you know, he went ahead and got his vaccination just absolutely as soon as it was available. But there's a very, very high percentage of his frontline workers, um, particularly those who, you know, provide the day in and day out, mm -hmm. night after night care, very personal care for those nursing home residents. Um, and he said that a really high percentage of those folks are not being vaccinated. There's a um, there's a pretty robust conversation going on. It seems to be race related. It seems to be, um, very, you know, highly situational. There are a lot of folks for whom the vaccine is now available who are not being vaccinated. Um, I'm just kind of wondering where you're seeing what you're seeing in your own environment. So, so I think there's certainly a racial component. Um, if you look back historically at some of the experimentations that did happen um, on African Americans in particular, that 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 is a big reason why sometimes, at least uh, culturally, there maybe there's not as much of an embrace towards vaccines in general. Um, what we're seeing a lot of, though, uh, women in general, young, younger women, are a little bit more hesitant. Um, not that they're unwilling; they're more hesitant. And that's kind of an important thing to consider because um, typically, if you look at most homes, women make the healthcare decisions for the home. Um, the, the, the men tend to follow suit with sort of where, where women go with the healthcare decisions. And I think a lot of the reason is there's, there's you know, it's, these things are so new. We're kind of unsure about things. There's a lot of hesitancy um, based on information that, that maybe they feel is lacking at this point in time, whether it is or it is not, that, that um, feeling is definitely there. And so sometimes that's causing people to not leap on things. My, my uh, sister-in-law, for example, she's a uh, nursing home worker, and I know she's been very hesitant herself and her colleagues have been hesitant themselves as well, and they're all younger, younger women. And that, that's simply because they just, 
haven't really seen how other people fare. And you hear all these reports, too, about people that have reactions to the vaccines. You know, I, I had my second Moderna shot uh, last week. And I'll tell you, uh, within 24 hours, I was chilled and I was feeling achy all over. But after uh, that 24-hour period, it was gone. It was like nothing ever happened. Um, but even so, people hear those things and they just feel like that's not a natural thing. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about um, once you've been fully vaccinated, uh, you know, what's the timeline after a person has their second shot uh, that, you know, you, you feel like the the vaccine is really fully effective? Um, and then what's this conversation about once you're fully vaccinated, you don't need to isolate uh, necessarily if you've been exposed to someone with the coronavirus? Um, could you repeat your first question again? I'm sorry. Oh, how long? So you had your second shot. Is there a time period that now you're supposed to wait? I don't I don't like how does the timeline work? Like you get your first shot yeah. and you wait a month and you get your second shot. Are you like, you know, now Superman? <laughs> well, you know, I, I do. That was a much better way of asking my first question. There you go. No, no, no. As far as the timeline goes, typically what you're looking at for the Pfizer vaccine, it's about a three-week period after your first dose before you get your second. And with Moderna, it's about four weeks. Um, although the CDC does indicate you can expand a little bit longer, what what they are suggesting is you try to hold to those if you can. What happens then after about two weeks, so 14 days from last Thursday for me, um, that's when you really expect to see that full benefit of the vaccine. And so to your second question about isolation, this is a really important discussion. So initially early on, um, we didn't have a lot of data about transmission, but you know, there's some of the stuff coming out of Israel right now, and there's a lot of other information out there to really suggest that if you've been vaccinated twice, there's there's a really low likelihood that you're going to transmit, and especially that you're going to um, be infected by someone else. And so for that reason, the CDC at this point is saying, if that 14 day period has passed after your second dose, you no longer need to isolate if you've been exposed to anyone. Um, so so that's that's a big change and certainly a positive move towards getting back to that state of normal. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's talk about, um, we got we got a couple of minutes left. Let's talk about kids and COVID. Uh, what do we uh, what do we think we know this week on that front? Yeah, so this is this has been an ongoing discussion, and I feel kind of like I've been saying the same thing in some ways for a long time. You know, kid kids are not likely to carry the virus in the same way that adults are, or at least not spread it. We've known that for a while. Um, I've been a big proponent since last May of kids going back to school, and my wife's a third grade teacher, so I'm very acutely, uh, I guess, associated with this, if you can say that. Um, with all that being said, there's a newer study that did come out, and what they looked at is viral loads, so how much virus um, are our children really carrying. And they found that not only did children transmit things less often, they were carrying less virus. It's like 63% less than your average adult. Um, now, we're not really sure why that is. It's a really interesting thing I'd like to, to figure out at some point. Um, but, it, but it's really kind of telling the story, the fact that that's probably why kids aren't spreading a lot of virus in a lot of these situations. We know when they've looked at home studies, it seems like when kids get it, they get it from home and not from school or from their peers. Um, children over the age of 12 are probably a little bit more likely to spread the virus, but those that are under that age seem to be really low risk. And this is a very important discussion when we talk about things like quarantine and when we talk about things like keeping schools open, uh, because a lot of families have been impacted by this. I, I've had my children, for example, quarantine twice. Um, there's a possibility of a third time coming up here, which I'm hoping doesn't happen. But, 
you can you can kind of see the issue if you're a working parent that that's a problem especially in more rural blue collar areas where you can't work from the comfort of a home office um you, you're away from your job so this is an important conversation we need to continue to have as a country all right we are um we're just about out of time but can you um uh, this might be a bigger question than you can briefly explain, but we're going to give it a shot. Um, can you just get like a little bit sick? So my husband asked me this question because we were talking about like viral load and I tried to explain that. And of course, I'm not a scientist. And even though we've talked every Monday for a year, um, I'm not necessarily really good as serving as like the interpretive key for all things COVID. Um, so talk with us a little bit about people who like don't have very many symptoms versus people who get really, really sick. Is one person, like, actually getting more virus than the other person? Like, what's going on? So um, that's a great question. So is one person getting more virus than another if they get sick versus not not very sick? Um, yes and no. So, so we know for sure that the severity of illness seems to correlate with how much virus a person is initially exposed to. This is probably the strongest argument for why masks may have a benefit. It's not that they block 100% of particles. It's that they block a lot of them, if you think about it. Um, so if you cut back on the load someone initially is impacted by, the severity of their illness is probably less if they do get sick. It's kind of like a coffee filter, right? You catch all the beans and only little particles come through, which gives you your coffee. Um, when you think about this in, in, in general, though, what that really means is that um, some of these people that have less virus are probably going to have less symptoms or may not have any symptoms at all. So, so it is quite possible that you could just be mild um, when you're carrying less virus. Hmm. All right. You and I have much more to talk about in the weeks ahead uh, because we're not through this yet. So thank you, as always, Zach, for, uh, for coming and explaining the headline news related to COVID. We genuinely appreciate it. All right. Well, no problem. I'm, I hope you guys have a great day. You too. That's Dr. Zach Jenkins from Cedarville University. We'll be right back. All right, so there's sometimes that you uh, you get up in the morning, you read the headline news, you find out that Sean Penn has uh, reasserted the Pope's authority over all baptized people, including evangelical Christians. Some might rebuff that. Uh, you also read, well, interviews by people who you once considered evangelical Christians, and you say to yourself, um, that is not what Christians think, nor what we say in public uh, about ourselves or one another. And then you have guys like Jim Dennison who helps you, well, sort it all out. Jim Dennison from the Dennison Forum will be here next. Teens are prone to test their parents in every possible way. It's part of their built-in and craving desire for independence. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Every kid is going to try and push the envelope in some way. So you as a parent need to be ready. Establish a clear and undeniable standard for what's expected in your home. I call it a belief system for discipline. It's all about positive training and reinforcement of dearly held convictions. And of course, it includes consequences when the rules are broken. Having a belief system in your home lets the whole family know about the lines that can't be crossed. It's a tool you need when your teen starts testing the boundaries. And someday, It'll lead your teen to establish similar beliefs of their own. Learn how to get your teen back on track. Get instant access to Mark's free parenting course online at freeparentingcourse.com.
Jim Dennison is back today from the Dennison Forum among those across the country for whom we are praying today. He is in Dallas where it is wretchedly cold uh, and they have rotating power outages across the region because, um, you know, frankly, they just can't keep up with the power demand. That's what it sounds like. Um, It's cold in your house, Jim. We're so sorry. Hey, Carmen. Yeah, we've been without power for about three hours. And I didn't know I'd have to wear so many layers inside my house. It's kind of an interesting experience. Well, we're um, we're going to certainly be praying for you and others uh, across the country today. You're not alone um, in in what you are enduring, and yet we also know that it's um, I mean it's it's physically challenging and can be very very painful and even deadly for people. So we'll be uh, mindful of that in places where the power is still on across the country. Let's um, I'm I'm so tempted, so tempted to lead this morning in our conversation. With Sean Penn's tweet, <sighs> but I, I might resist. It. Okay, no. Okay, well then here here you is some subject me. here's some subject matter for the Denison Forum. Um, right. This will give you guys something to work on. This is uh, five thirteen p.m. on the twelfth. Sean Penn tweeted: Evangelical leaders should themselves be impeached by the Vatican if they don't follow Nikki Haley's lead and clearly state they should not have followed Satan into the bowels of hell, but perhaps they're too busy at sex parties. Well, I know it's so it's so ripe with opportunity (laughs) for um, uh, for speaking about the ways in which we have um, potentially given up our witness to the gospel. But there will be uh, there will be lots of opportunity to to till that soil. Let's talk about Max Lucado. Let's talk about cancel culture. Um, For our listeners who don't know, the Washington National Cathedral has been denounced for hosting Max Licato. uh, And Jim has a great piece at the Denison Forum, Why We Must Never Concede the High Ground of Truth. You also uh, deal with the escalating censorship of evangelicals and give us some biblical responses. So I just wanted to lift all of that up before our people today. Well, thanks so much. And Carmen, you've been doing such a great job for years trying to help us to speak the truth in love. And that's the balance, isn't it? On the one side, we have to speak truth. And the less popular it is, the more necessary it is. But on the same side, we need to do this in a spirit of respectfulness and gratitude and humility. The Bible tells us to do this with gentleness and respect, because we're no better than anybody else. We're beggars helping beggars find bread. So the challenge is to keep that balance that represents the spirit of Jesus, where we speak the truth of Christ in the spirit of Christ. Speak the truth of Christ in the spirit of Christ. Um, Talk with us about the way that we're really living in a time where this public censorship, particularly of evangelicals or an evangelical worldview, is really rapidly accelerating. People are feeling it. Um, is it. Is it really happening? It really is happening on a variety of levels. What's behind it, Carmen, is kind of a metaphor that's actually been helpful for me lately. I am absolutely, as I know you are, completely opposed to racism on every level, on every form. If I saw someone using social media to promote racism or someone that wouldn't be willing to marry people of a different race, something like that, I'd be completely opposed. Well, that's how the culture sees us relative to LGBTQ issues. They see us as being just as insensitive, just as bigoted, just as prejudiced, just as homophobic they would say, as if the issue had to do with racism. And when I understand that, they're wrong about that, of course, on a variety of levels, they're completely wrong about that, but that's how they see us. And when I understand that, it makes it easier to predict their behavior and to respond in the spirit of Christ. Mm. So getting to the place where I can anticipate that that is actually how a person is going uh, 
to respond because it's the way they view me, right, then I can make a conscientious choice about how I am going to respond to them. And it and it sort of breaks that cycle of unthinking reactionaryism that I think, you know, we're as prone to as anyone else. That seems like that's that, that's one of the things you're trying to help us do. That's the opportunity. As we turn this obstacle into opportunity, when they respond to us with antagonism and hatred, if we respond to them with with love and with humility that says, look, I understand why you believe the way you do. If you give me the opportunity, I can explain why I am where I am and where my position is right scientifically, my position is right biologically, as well as biblically and historically, if you give me that opportunity. But nonetheless, I understand why you see me as being homophobic and bigoted and prejudiced. I want to respond to that that in a spirit of humility and in a spirit of kindness and grace. Responding in a spirit of humility and kindness and grace, um, you and I know that is something that is cultivated over time. Um, Maybe you could give us a little encouragement. Maybe there's even a, you know, I don't know, a three-step process uh, of, you know, how do I go about speaking the truth in love? How do I learn? How do I cultivate the ability to respond in this way? Well, what a practical question, because I'm just as susceptible as anybody else is to being angry when people respond to me angrily, that sort of thing. So the first thing, Carmen, is the, and in many ways, I think it's the most important. Ephesians 5.18 commands us to be filled with the Spirit, means to be controlled by the Spirit, to be submitted to the Spirit. This is a daily decision that we make. Once I trust Christ as my Lord, I don't have to do that again. I'm the child of God. But every single day, I have to get down off the throne. Every morning, I have to get alone with the Lord, first thing in the morning, and say, Holy Spirit, I ask you to take control of me. I ask you to empower me and fill me. And then when I'm in conversations, I'm praying, Lord, speak to me and through me. Holy Spirit, manifest your fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I'm asking God to speak through me to do what I can't do in the flesh so that I can do it in the power of the Spirit. Self-sufficiency is spiritual suicide. We have to pull out of that every single day and stay submitted to the power of the Holy Spirit because then he can speak the truth and love through us. Mm. I'm, uh, I'm reminded, Jim, that, um, and again, friends, I'm talking with Jim Dennison. You can find him at denisonforum.org. Um, I'm reminded, Jim, that there are some who believe that God is, you know, then going to sort of you know, wheel around and turn it all around in a moment, and we will no longer experience this, you know, kind of vilification or censorship. You know, it's just all going to be bright and rosy and shiny. Um, can You know, that's just not what Scripture leads me to believe being a Christian, living as a Christian in the midst of the world is ever going to be like. Um, can you Can you address that? Absolutely. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. The word translated tribulation, philipsis in the Greek, is the word used to crush grain into flour. Jesus said, in this world, you will, not you might or you could. And by way of perspective, it may help a little bit to understand that we have believers all over the world facing persecution on levels we have never faced in this country. I've been to Cuba 10 times over the years, and I can tell you my Cuban friends down there would think that the persecution we're facing because we're being canceled on Twitter or Facebook or people are saying unkind things about us really doesn't compare to what they're facing in Cuba. When I was in Beijing, I met with pastors of the underground church church there that are losing their homes, their churches, some of them their lives for standing up for Jesus. We're thinking of Muslims coming to faith in Jesus through visions and dreams and risking their lives. 
And so we really need to be praying for those facing persecution on a level we're not, and that perspective may help us to understand. Look, we live in a fallen world. Lost people act like lost people. They don't know better. They don't understand better. The Bible says the natural man doesn't understand the things of God because they're spiritually discerned. doesn't make us better than anyone. We're beggars helping beggars find bread. But we ought not be surprised when the enemy comes against us as he comes against our Lord. So, Jim, um, there's so many headlines that you and I could talk about when we come back from a very brief break. But um, I know that you have uh, posted at Denison Forum today um, your your reflection on response to um, and encouragement related to Ravi Zacharias. And I'm wondering if when we come back from the break, we could talk about that. Sure. We're going to talk about three. It is tragic. Three biblical steps every Christian must take now. Responding to the Ravi Zacharias scandal. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Many of us benefited um, over generations by the ministry of Ravi Zacharias, and it is excruciatingly painful now to witness the uh, the fall of um, not only his credibility, but to recognize that there are victims in the wake. Um, of of choices that he was making during his lifetime, of which uh, we were unaware. And so Jim Dennison addresses that today at the Dennison Forum. You can find the full article at denisonforum.org, responding to the Ravi Zacharias scandal, three biblical steps every Christian must take now. Jim? Thanks. The report that came out this last Friday was the word that we had been anticipating, unfortunately, for months. As you know, Ravi passed away last May. He was one of the best-known intellectuals in the Christian world. I profited greatly from his books, from his example, from his ministry, international ministry. And then after his death last May, we began hearing reports of allegations of sexual abuse that really were escalating across the months. And then last Friday, the final report came out from a law firm hired by their ministry to investigate these reports. It's 12 pages. It is scathing. It is horrific as it details reports of rape, reports of other acts of sexual abuse, and numerous extramarital relationships. And so as I was trying to respond to that Friday report in today's article, my first point very quickly is we must grieve for these victims. These are absolutely victims of the enemy himself and of Ravi's sexual abuse. As If you read this as though this was, Carmen, as though this was you, or as though this was my wife, or my granddaughter. That's how we have to see this. We have to, first of all, before we do anything else, be praying for these victims, be praying for their families, be praying with grief, understanding that these are children loved by the Lord himself. Then second, we ought to expect our private sin to become public. I'm sure Ravi thought he was getting away with this, but the enemy only allows us to keep our private sin private until we climb far enough the ladder that when we fall, it hurts everybody. Don't think your private sin is private. Just know that the enemy is going to expose it at whatever time most suits his nefarious purposes. So that leads to the third point, which is to repent now. If there's any private sin in your life, if there's any sin that you've not brought to accountability, deal with it today. See it as cancer. Know that it is metastasizing even as we speak. It's only going to get worse. Years ago, I heard a statement, I'll close with this, where someone said, sin will always take you further than you wanted to go, keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and cost you more than you wanted to pay. Always. And if you think you're getting away with it, you're being lied to right now. This is an urgent call to repentance on the heart of all believers. 
when I um, when I consider sort of the the scope and the gravity of this conversation and recognize that um, it is you know it is it is not as if this one individual um, is the only person uh, who suffers in this way and has inflicted suffering upon others in this way. I recognize, Jim, that there is a great need for the body of Christ to not only uh, know how to respond to victims, but also uh, among the living to know how to respond to perpetrators. And, um, and church discipline is something that we, are, we have become very poor at in the body of Christ. Can you, can you just talk about that? Like how, you know, this is, there's a brother-to-brother issue here as well. Can you, can you talk about that? Absolutely. Jesus says in Matthew eighteen fifteen that if your brother sins against you, go to him. If he won't hear that, bring two or three other witnesses. If he won't hear that, bring it to the church. Well, in the evangelical world today, especially in light of what we've been discussing this morning, the opposition we feel, the cancel culture we feel, we're looking for heroes. We're looking for people that we feel are doing it right, people we can trust, people we can look to, people that we can respect. And we really don't, I'm afraid, hold them to the kind of accountability that is required of all human beings because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. On the other side of that, Carmen, I have to admit to you as a longtime pastor and a communicator that it's tempting for me to try to live on a pedestal that, 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 uh, that fallaciously believes that somehow I'm beyond accountability and that somehow because of what I'm called to do that there's some kind of inherent protection that goes with that. And this is a day for us to understand that accountability and the body of Christ is vital to the body of Christ. We are shaming the name of Jesus if we're not doing this. So if a person hearing us right now is not accountable to somebody who can ask the hard questions, who can ask you the, and tell them the questions to ask, tell them the questions that you want them to deal with, and then let them ask the questions they know they need to ask, and then reverse the relationship. Be in an accountable relationship with somebody. If you're on a board of elders, hold the leaders accountable and ask the hard questions. If you're in leadership in a ministry, ask people around you to help you to be accountable. Because if you don't, the day will come when we could be talking about you, just as we're talking tragically about Ravi today. Um, let's pivot here for, for just a moment, Jim, and talk about um, Black History Month. Let's talk about what we're learning. Um, you know, racial discrimination is evil. Racism in every variety is evil. Um, and you and I would both admit, you have admitted as much so um, in, you know, in something I read uh, just last week when you were reflecting on the rebranding of Aunt Jemima, um, yes. that we are just now learning what others have known for generations. Talk a little bit about the posture of white evangelicals right now in the racial conversations in our country. Yeah, it's such a relevant question, isn't it? So when the Aunt Jemima uh, news came out the other day that PepsiCo was rebranding because of the logo, I had to admit, I've been using Aunt Jemima syrup and pancake batter for years, decades. I had never even noticed the logo. Well, I have an African-American friend who would tell you that that logo was something that to him every single day screamed of the slavery that was behind it. It was the mammy back in the era of slavery where the black woman cooked for the white family. That was the history. Actually, historically, the, the background of that logo, and I was blind to it. Over the years, I've come to realize the degree to which I have lived in a kind of white privilege where although I myself have never obviously enslaved, I live out of an economy that was in many ways built on slavery. 
I take for granted that I would get some kind of fair treatment in the court system. But if you look into in systemic racism in our courts and in our jurisprudence, you discover that there are endemic systemic issues that, that have transcended the decades. These are days for evangelicals to pull back and ask the Lord, Lord, what do I need to do to be honest with you, honest with my culture, and how could I be a means to the end of this? God redeems all he allows. How could God redeem, even in this Black History Month, in a way that could cause us to be leaders toward reconciliation and leaders toward justice for all? Yeah, we had a conversation uh, yesterday um, during a drive. Uh, one person in my family never never heard of the of even the idea behind redlining, let alone that that was something that happened, you know, here across the United States of America, um, and led to really the you know the the way in which white families became wealthy over the same period of time that black families did not. Um, it's a there are so many of these conversations, and we need to learn to have them in a way that is um, that is honest. And that is that is recognizing that there are things that others have known for generations that we are just now learning. And I thought that was a particularly helpful way of um, uh, of phrasing that. And I just wanted to lift that up um, in appreciation to you today as well. Jim Dennison from the Dennison Forum. You can find everything uh, that he's writing and writing about at DennisonForum.org. Jim, uh, thank you as always so much. Carmen, such a privilege to be on with you. God bless. Such a blessing. We'll be right back. Okay, so you are contagious. I want you to remember that today. You um, you are contagious, and my hope is that it is your faith in Christ, your joy in the Lord, the very glory of who God is that is the contagion about you. You affect the atmosphere around you today. You affect, uh, I mean, you are emotionally contagious. You are, um, you are contagious in terms of your worldview, in what, you, uh, in what you repeat, in whether or not you roll your eyes, certainly in the things that you choose to say when you comment on uh, not only the headlines of the day, but frankly, what, what's underneath the headlines of the day, the between the lines part. Uh, of the conversations going on in the culture. And so let's be contagious today in ways that honor Jesus. So if you consider that you are, you're just a live contagion, let's be a live contagion of heavenly things, of the gospel, of the goodness and the glory, of beauty and truth. Let's be, let's be contagious in those ways today. Let's send forth those kinds of um, particles into the atmosphere around us and just see what happens. we got another hour up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.